I'm Theo. And I'm Juliet. And this is Apologies Accepted. We offer an entertaining look at some of the big issues in history by examining public apologies of the famous and infamous. We're looking at politicians, serial killers, actors, and you. Send us a public apology you would like to make, and we'll read it on the air and give you a chance to redeem yourself, or just get some guilt off your shoulders. We're here for you. Once a week, maybe more if you're really, really sorry. Accepted the, the podcast. podcast, and and I'm not Theo, and I'm not Juliet. Yeah, I am. Um, and welcome. Uh, today we're going to talk about an apology made by everybody's favorite podcast, my favorite murder, my favorite murder, and my favorite podcast. Aside yeah, from hey. ours, <laughs> ours is legit <laughs> for real. My favorite. Time. I've had to correct you on that. Um, yeah, but okay, I have mine. a note here uh, that says my favorite podcast. This is my you favorite podcast. <laughs> I wouldn't say that MFM is my favorite podcast. I'm not sure what is, though. So it's up there. It's one I certainly listen to every week. Um, And it is a comedy podcast, as everyone listening probably knows. It was started in January 2016 by Georgia Hardstark and Karen Kilgariff. Uh, as of 2020, it was getting 35 million downloads per month and earned $15 million in advertising Jeez, revenue. Oh, are you kidding? I'm not kidding. I guess why um, would you get on the air and lie? But <laughs> 35 million downloads per month. So they don't have 35 million listeners. They have like 450,000 listeners or something like who just per listen episode. repeatedly again and again. I don't know. I don't get it. I guess they listen to people listen to back episodes or something. I don't know. Um, but Karen said about the podcast in a Forbes article from last year, 2020, it's nice to listen and process terrible things together. There's something really cathartic about that. But I forgot to ask you how you are, Theo. Speaking I think it's of never terrible to things ask. that are cathartic, <laughs> <laughs> it's never too late to ask. <laughs> it's never too late to ask how you're doing. How is your week? My week has been great. My week has been fine. Sorry, everybody. We pulled you into the show, and now we are going to stop to talk about ourselves. Uh, Whatever. We'll keep if you it don't short. like it, you don't have to listen, <laughs> as my favorite murder would say. <laughs> um, so, yeah, good. We're moving, and the market's high. Why not? Um, things yep. are a little up in the air with James' office. They... They're going to do a hybrid, like virtual slash bricks and mortar thing. And mm-hmm. so kind of the world is the the business world is sort of reinventing itself in parts and pieces. Yeah. And so let's take advantage of all of these things. Is James going to be hybrid or is he going to have to work in the office all the time? So he's going to be um, hybrid, but he'll be working in the office for the next year. And then um, we're just kind of like, you know what, let's... Let's do it. We've been through the pandemic. We've been through the snowpocalypse that brought Texas yeah. to its knees. Um, there's been enough, um, all of this nonsense. So let's just move where we want to move and yeah. we'll just make it work. Right. And so yeah. he'll, whatever. Um, because Great. that's the interesting thing, but it doesn't happen for another year. Um, so we're going to sell and then just rent because you can't buy anything and right. take about a year. So we had a stager come through the house to help just sort of new fresh eyes, right? Yeah. Let's let's pull out the junk. 
because I love thrift stores and <laughs> I cannot walk into one without walking out with something. Right? That's cool. Yeah. Well, I think it's cool too. And so <laughs> did the um so did the designer slash stager. Nice. And uh yeah. And so I have a lot of shit I have to haul out and stick in the garage and Do there's you? a whole oh, no. Yeah. But it's weird because it's not weird, but it's interesting because it's like, oh, your home tells a story and people yeah. buy stories. And I'm like, okay, right. yeah, that makes I watch a lot of HGTV. That all makes sense yeah. to me. And so she's like, um, the the reason we stage isn't so much to depersonalize. It's that when you have a lot of things, people end up shopping your home and they'll oh. say, oh, I love those chairs with that, you know, display cabinet that right. was in that house. But they don't think about the house. So she's like, oh. really, what you need to do is showcase potential. So I see. Remove as much as you can and if it's wow. smaller than a football it goes in a box and it just goes away um wow. but that's funny because i thought the stager was going to say it's perfect the way it is you don't have to do a thing well i was very very excited and pleased when uh she opened up our pantry and said wow do you watch a lot of marie kondo <laughs> and i was like do you i know who she no no, I'm, I'm the product of an uptight Swedish French farm girl. We are just fucking organized. Get your shit wow. together and get it up onto a shelf. So, yeah. Wow. Um, so, yeah. That, so, anyway. Impressive. That's my week, getting uh, mentally prepared to get rid of all of my favorite things. And I learned a lot from the designer. She was awesome. I can now talk about negative space. And I get this whole, like, stripping a house down not so much yeah. to show people what you have, but more, oh, you know what? That great big wall just needs a piece of art on it. Right, right. Yeah. And we have the perfect piece of art to hang on this wall in our future home. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. And so uh, we'll see. Every time I look at a house that I end up buying, I'm always like, I want to buy all the furniture that you staged it with. Can we please buy the furniture and it just ditch everything that we already have? But it never works out for some reason, I guess, because they're leasing it. I'm hoping that happens. <laughs> I'm hoping somebody's like everything is precious and I will give you so much more money if I can have everything because you know I, I there's so many things here that I just don't need it's yeah, sad I hear you yeah. I've got more stuff than I'll I could, I could probably furnish 10 homes with the stuff in my house oh we could easily I mean this is no brag this, this is what I'm ashamed of right <laughs> we could easily outfit a second home and never oh, yeah. notice what was missing. <laughs> I mean, I, as yeah, we speak, yeah. I'm sitting on two chairs at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> it is a nice chair, though. I, I envy that chair, and I wish that I had a place for it in my oh, house. I wish I, I was that it. chair. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I were that chair. <laughs> I envy that chair. <laughs> Not that way. Oh, if you only people your... could sit on me, I would be so comfortable. <laughs> I would make everyone so happy. I'd be such a great chair. <laughs> I'd be better than that chair. <laughs> oh, God, we just went back to high school. <laughs> um, so anyway, yes, that's my week and your week. Oh, nothing. A whole lot of nothing. Um, crap at work for a change. Um, it's going to work itself out, I'm sure. 
Uh, it's been cold here. It's been in the 50s. I think it's 50-something right now. Uh, I'm not complaining, though, because it's been sunny, too. Right now, it's beautiful out there. And uh, and I'm getting my haircut this afternoon. So hooray, finally, after at least eight months, I'm getting a haircut. Uh, my dog is whining. I'm sorry about that. She wants to come out and talk to us. That's what you to lose your precious locks. <laughs> Yeah. So that's my week. It's been very unexciting, unfortunately. Not much to talk about. Unexciting is exciting. I mm. I am sorry. You give me the most boring week in the world and that is amazing and awesome because it is a it's a privilege to be bored. Oh, that's the truth, especially these days. Yeah. I mean, being excited. Yeah. Uncle Fred was thrown yeah. in jail again and he doesn't have any bail <laughs> money and you got to go out and get uh. a job to get That's not fun. Or even I've got to pack all my shit to get ready to move. That's not fun. Oh, I was like, God, I feel sorry for that. Oh, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) You've blocked it out already. Oh, God, yeah. Um, But uh, yeah, so let's... Ready? Here's the segue. We, let's move. So we go back. To, <laughs> let's move back. To the podcast. Yes. Yeah. So as I said, uh, MFM comedy podcast, $700 billion a minute. Um, it's cathartic and people like to process things together. Okay, fine. So uh, in the episode 92 of My Favorite Murders, the Halloween special from October 2008, a story was submitted by a family member of a police officer talking about a medical legal death investigator who was attacked and raped in a storage, an office storage room near a morgue by someone who obviously knew her schedule. Um, no arrest in the case was ever made, and the victim later said that Quote, the detectives investigating my case forgot to flag it as confidential, resulting in an unknown number of deputies reading details of my case. And of course, as I said, that's how the story made it to my favorite murder as a hometown. Karen and Georgia read an email from a relative of the police and police officer involved in the case. Yeah. And for uh, for those people who are unfamiliar with the show, although I think everybody is familiar with my favorite. If you're listening to us, you will love them. You know, my favorite murder, and you'll know my favorite murder. But just for our listeners who don't, uh, My Favorite Murder does an hour-long episode where there's two co-hosts and they each tell each other a horror story about murder, true true crime, and yeah. uh, and they relieve their anxiety through jokes. And it's very funny, I, and I love the show. They do a, an episode once a week that is shorter that's called a mini-sode where people write in letters about murders and it's gotten bigger than just murders but initially it started yeah. off for the first few years it was just murders in my hometown right because everybody's right. got a a thing that happened in their hometown that they just love right. to share at parties and uh you know oh my god you won't believe what happened so that's what this is somebody wrote into the show about an event that happened in their small town and the and the host yep. read it on the air as they've been yep. doing for years and years and years. Yep. And the woman who was attacked was apparently a listener. Uh, she heard her own story on My Favorite Murder and wrote to them. So she had some trouble getting in touch with them, but they, Karen and Georgia finally did um, get her letter, and they read it on uh, Minnesota. I think it's Minnesota 211. Is it Minnesota 211? It's yeah. 211, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And the author said in her email, I actually wrote to you once before and indicated that I didn't want anything more, anything more published, that I just wanted to set the record straight. But I've had a few months to sit on this and some time to bounce it off my therapist, and I've decided that I do want to tell my story. It was so crazy to hear my worst nightmare told on a podcast. It felt like a violation. So much of this has felt like something that happened to me, and I want to control this part of the narrative. I want my real story told by me with my consent. 
And then she goes on in the episode to tell her story, um, which, well, she, Karen and George read her story on Minnesota 211. And then they say, and here's their apology, unless you have something to add before I get to the apology. Nope. Okay. I, this is so a- they say... So we told a story that was third hand and not the person's story to tell. I don't think that the person who wrote in had malicious intent, but I think this is a very good lesson for all of us when we think about what we're doing and how we're talking and who we're talking about. So our apologies to you who had to hear her story on a podcast. That's the last thing that we want to happen. And that's, you know, that's just not what we're trying to do and not what it's about. And we should have thought it through. And we're going to try our best to keep aware of this and to keep you in mind so that we avoid mistakes like this in the future. And so Georgia and I have decided that we're going to donate $10,000 to the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. So that was their apology. Um, They removed the episode, the story, the original story in episode 92 with um, the reading of the email. And they didn't, um, they put Karen's comments in the reading where the story, the original story used to be. They didn't add any extra comments talking about the, why they removed it or anything. I think it's, it's, as one of the, another Redditor said, it's a straight cut and paste job. So a couple of points that I have about this whole thing. So the victim was a listener to my favorite murder which means, as my friend Michelle pointed out, that she was okay hearing other people's stories. Oh, interesting point. Um, it doesn't mean she didn't have a right to tell her own story, but it raised the question for me, why do we listen to true crime, podca- true crime podcasts and watch TV shows of this kind? Why was the victim listening? And why was it okay for her to tell... Okay, why was it okay to her for Karen and Georgia to tell other people's stories, but not hers? Wow. All right. Well... Um... I don't have an answer for that, but I can give you sort of like human people in general, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It is true crime stuff, horror stories in general. It's. I was talking with a friend who does not listen to My Favorite Murder. There are some yeah. people in the world who don't, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and um, kind of his his first question was, why would anybody listen to this? Right. And it's that idea of uh-huh. gathering around the campfire, right. And yeah. telling each other ghost stories or, or whatever. And so it does have that feel to it. This is, you know, it's about entertainment. And so in a way, when something is entertainment, we're used to actors and actresses and puppets and cartoon drawings, right. It's one step away from reality. Right. Okay. And so it's. I'm going to say depersonalized slash. I don't want to say dehumanized, but we're we're taking the individual human out of it, and what we're hearing is a story that happened. Um, right. You know, to pick on my favorite Cinderella, um, maybe there was some poor girl who's scrubbing floors all the time, and a prince did yeah. marry her, and right, and and maybe, maybe she's like, you know, I wish everybody would shut up about my fucking shoes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh Andrea Denoti, i love how you're what? like so anyway <laughs> <laughs> did you have more to say about cinderella shoes no she's tired of it uh no i'm good i'm good 
Okay. <laughs> in the New Republic, Andrea Denhode agrees with you and says, a central tenet of my favorite murder fandom is that talking about murders is a way to neutralize the anxieties provoked by those very crimes. And as time has gone on, the show has increasingly leaned into themes of mental health and self-care. In the podcast's very early days, the host suggested that people needed to hear murder stories because it might help them to stay on alert and avoid getting murdered themselves. But that always felt like the half-baked idea. And anyway, they mostly abandoned it when listeners pointed out that it smacked of victim blaming. Now they focus on the mutual support that murderinos find just by admitting their anxieties and acknowledging the dangers they face as women in the world. Yeah. So that's sort of what you were saying. And and I'm going to say like that's one of the great things that grew out of this podcast that can't be replicated, right? Yeah, I, yeah. That was just so organic. To think that this show literally started off with two friends from the same social circle they weren't like best buddies right they met at a party i all listeners know this right they met at a party overlapping social circles uh one of them i think it was karen was karen. talking about uh uh the car crash that happened at austin city limits and she south was by southwest oh was it south by so see yeah. how austin i am i call it south by <laughs> right i i set that yeah. up um, of course. And uh, she was in line to go see a band perform inside a club. And she got out of the end of the line because the line was long. And that's where the car hit. So she missed getting struck by that car because she didn't have the patience to wait on a long line. Right? Yeah. Um, and she's telling that story at a party. And everybody is kind of like, not comfortable with it. But Georgia yeah. went running over and saying, oh, my God, you saw that car crash. You have to tell me everything about it. And so oh. then they got Which together. Which would have weirded me out personally, but uh, but Karen was all for it, I guess. Oh, I would have been. All, if I'm telling a story and somebody says, tell me more. <laughs> hi, you, you have. Love it. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's better than money. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so they. um they discovered they both liked true crime and that they were both embarrassed about their um, uh-huh. passion, obsession, interest in true crime. They used yeah. all of those words. Yeah. Um, and so they had a, uh, a coffee date. Like, eh, let's try and be friends. Let's see what, you know, what happens. And uh-huh. uh, they ended up talking for five hours. And during wow. that conversation, that's when the idea of, oh, my God, if we can do this for five hours, we need to have a podcast. Right. Wow. And um, cool. And so it started off with them at the dining room table in a one-bedroom apartment. And it was Koreatown, I think, but don't hold me to that, right? But not not a best part of L.A., right? Um, and it's grown into hundreds of millions of, of, well, I guess it's not hundreds of millions. Yeah, over a year. If they're getting 35, 35 million, million downloads, yeah, it'd be 350 yeah million in 10 months and then plus another 70 million 497 3 million okay (laughs) (laughs) sounds good to me i got an a in math thank you community college (laughs) anyway it's a lot of people i i sidetracked you but um but yeah you know i mean the the listening audience just connected with each other in ways that you couldn't manufacture. And it's largely women. It's like, I don't know what percent women, but when I went to the live show in San Francisco so many years ago, um, it was uh, 98% women. 
I, I have no doubt. I've heard the screams yeah. in the audience, and it it's the rare baritone that you will hear. Yeah. 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 yeah my husband was there, but just because I made him come with me. So I, of he course. actually liked my favorite murder. You got to drag but... along. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. I have tried to get James to listen to it. Um, I, I have, I have tried to trick him. Right. Really? Uh Really? Like, would you like another drink, honey? Hey, while we're sitting around, let's listen to this podcast. No. Uh, long car drives. That's funny. Nope. Wow. Does he, does he have a favorite podcast? No. Oh, he doesn't listen to podcasts at all. So he doesn't like TikTok. He doesn't like podcast. Um, yeah, I know. I'm like, you're, you're not young. (laughs) <laughs> you're not young and hip like me so back to what we were talking about though do you think that there are that many women who are, who think obsessively about true crime that that it's such an issue for them that they have to listen to true crime podcasts in order to relieve their anxiety i mean obsessively is the word i'm kind of like eh, i'll say no to that if obsessively is going to be in that sentence but if we take that out and just say do I think that there are a lot of women out there who are uh, nervous about living in the world because of violence? I would say yes. Well, that's true. Right. Um, yeah, and that is so, definitely true. And I, and I will say this. Um, there are... As, let me explain women to you, okay? Oh, go ahead. Okay, all right. So there's, who would know better than you? Nobody. A gay man. I'm a man. <laughs> <laughs> who also is gay. So, yippee. Yes. Um, all right, so I have a friend, and she likes all those Lifetime movies, right? Yeah. And her yeah. her favorite thing is sitting on the couch and just watching a lot of crap TV. And she knows it's crap, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and so we were talking, and I was like, yeah, you know, I try to watch the Lifetime channel, and I just, I can't, you know, because it's just the same thing again and again and again, right? Innocent woman is victimized by a guy. A terrible. Yeah. Yeah. The, the next movie, an innocent woman is victimized by a guy, right? Who with blonde <laughs> hair. So, right. right. So no. And then she was like, oh, all right. So what dumb TV do you watch? Don't tell me the Hallmark Channel, which was absolutely <laughs> the channel that I would watch. And so I've discovered <laughs> there's two types of, of women in the world. Those who like Hallmark and uh-huh. the romancy romancy. The, uh-huh. I'm going to fall in love with a man. It's going to be perfect or people fall. And then the ones that are, it's lifetime men are deceitful. They're going to murder you. Yeah. There's no middle ground there. I don't know anybody who's not one or the other. Yeah. So the human condition, once again, decoded by us. (laughs) I know most women I know are the, the true crime people, which is interesting. I don't think I know any women who are the hallmark People, but I know there are a lot of them because there are a lot of Hallmark type podcasts. There's, uh, I know one person who's a Hallmark person, and she has a sweatshirt, which is how I knew she was a Hallmark person because oh. it had the Hallmark Channel sweatshirt on it. Oh my gosh! And I was like, "Tell me, did you buy that?" That's a lot. <laughs> or did, was it like on a park bench? Like, did somebody force you to wear that? How did it come into your life? <laughs> Uh, yeah, oh, and not not so much a true crime. Um, I'm going to say probably the only person that I know that I've not like I walk around and talk to people. I right. do I do push my favorite murder on people. 
Okay. I do say, have, do you know what a podcast is? Have you heard my favorite murder? <laughs> well, I'm sure they're grateful to you for the percentage of the $35 uh, yeah, the, a month that are... The one listener I dragged over. <laughs> so there are some issues that I have with true crime, surprisingly, or not surprisingly. <laughs> is um, it the crime part? It's the crime part. And we'll talk about... Um, I don't know what I was just going to say, but so one of the, one of the issues I have is that kind of what you'll notice that in true crime, um, they tend to glorify the police and Mm -hmm. what I'll call crime officers. So, you know, the police are always solving the crime and there's always detectives and other people associated with the police that are doing good jobs and finding out who the killer is and blah, blah, blah. When, you know, if you've ever had your car broken into, there's not shit the police are going to do for you or um, I've never had, we, we had our car stolen one time and uh, I'm sorry, the, the police did nothing. They did absolutely you nothing. You had your car stolen? Well, Brent did. It was his car. It, it was a long time ago. Where did you put it? Where did we put it? On the street. No, I, I, I meant where did you put it when you stole it, but it, it came out stupid. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do with it? That would have been better. Steal Brent's car. <laughs> <laughs> um, so studies have shown that consuming a lot of crime-related media is correlated with both an increased fear of crime and a higher degree of trust in the competence and good intention of cops. So mm. it, interestingly, if you watch a lot of crime TV or, or crime podcasts or whatever, your fear of crime does not decrease. It increases. So if you're watching it to be cathartic, it may not be doing the job for you. Um, but you will have a higher degree of trust in the competence and good intention of the police and the police associated, which is not, as we have seen over the past few years, necessarily warranted. Isn't that interesting? Because that I buy into the whole, um, what do they call it with a forest fire when you do a counter burn? Oh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, there's <laughs> there's a name Whatever for that. Called. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh I wish I, I wish I could remember it, but okay, whatever. So, so I do buy into that. Like I'm deathly afraid of tarantulas, but I know if you uh-huh. let a bunch of them crawl over me for 15 hours, I would eventually oh get God. over my fear. Yeah. So I would be dead. <laughs> but so, so there is that whole like burning the fear out. I mean, that's, that's how parents used to teach kids how to swim. You know, I'm afraid of the water, throw them in the deep end, just throw them in. Right. Find out it's okay, but but that's in order for that to happen, for for that to be a true analogy, you'd have to be a victim of crime and find out that it's not that bad, and then you weren't afraid of crime anymore. As oh wow, to, you're right. <laughs> listening to podcasts about crime. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna go to bed and leave my front door wide open. Everybody, night. Yeah, yeah, that's dumb. Help me get over my fear. Come on in. Yeah. So that's one issue I have with true crime in general. It's a, well, that's two issues, really, that, that it doesn't it doesn't relieve your fears of crime, according to studies anyway, and that you're going to have a higher degree of trust in people that you probably should not have a higher degree of trust it, in. It allows for false hope. False hope. And the other issue I have um, with true crime is that generally the portrayals of the victims of crime are inaccurate. So most homicide victims are black men, not white women. True. Um, and I think that my favorite murder has tried to to uh, what's the word showcase um, victims of crime who are color of color. Um, they I know they did a piece on Matrice Richardson. Yes, but I don't know how what percentage it is of their it's um, small. women are victims are are people of color, and I think it is small. Um, 
And not only that, but they have done some things themselves, which are sort of white woman racism. Like they put out some merchandise that had teepees on it, and that caused a scandal. Um, they didn't apologize, but they removed the teepee from the design, and they donated $10,000 to the First Nations Development Institute. So they, their response to mistakes they make seems to be to throw money at it. Well, I think it... Okay, so... Mm-hmm. Um, what I have discovered is not so much this impulse to play devil's advocate, but right. to protect people that I love. And uh-huh. because I love Karen and Georgia, although I will say about about lots of stuff, right? Um, yeah. Maybe it's not throw money at it as much as it is do some good in the world that, that they can actively do. Um, and so, yeah, you could build an argument that it's disingenuous to donate money that's a tax write-off uh, so they're benefiting from it, and it's PR, etc. But then, on, on the other hand, and it's they only ten k. Have... I mean, if they make fifteen million dollars a year, they can afford to give more than ten k. I'm saying. Uh, I think there's some tax thing, right? Where if you give more than ten thousand uh, dollars, the recipient has to pay taxes on it. I don't know how that works with charities because oh, I don't. Well, they could donate enough to cover the taxes. But what if the taxes are really high and you just get ten thousand dollars? No. Um, what if, what if that's all the money a charity can ever get? I don't know anything um, about that. Yeah, me either. I don't donate that kind of money. No, I can't. Can't afford it. I can, but I don't. No, totally kidding. <laughs> of course not. Um, so, so yeah, I see it more as like, that's the good they can do outside of, um, personally opening their homes up to people in need or going places and building well, homes for people. I'm not convinced that their apology about either the 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 clown morgue story or the um the TP were something they really learned from. I think that's what I would want more than them giving twenty million dollars to the First Nations Development Institute, although that would be nice. Um it would be good if they used their popularity for a more positive outcome. I don't know. What am I trying to say? Um, um, I, I hear what you're saying. Like they have a platform and, but and they still make positive comments about the death penalty, for example, like they say things like that guy should be fried or whatever. And I'm yeah. anti-death penalty and I have a real issue with that. And then that gets into this whole thing of like casual conversation, like, you know, what right. we're having. And I'm sure that, I mean, I know I've said stuff where it's like, oh my. And I, I hold it against you every bit. You're good. You should. Um, <laughs> you should remind me of it constantly. Um, <laughs> so I, you know, I, I can see a com. I can put those comments in context and uh-huh. allow for inconsistency, not only because, oh, I like them and I want to protect them, but more like, I, I get it, you know, um, when they say, oh, he should fry, what they mean is he should be punished to a maximum extent. Maybe their stance <laughs> on the death penalty might be a little squishy. Like in the moment they feel, yeah, yeah kill him. But then would they swing the hammer? How is that a way to kill people? But apparently <laughs> I just made it one. Would they place the injection, you're saying? Yes, thank you. Would they be there you. to 
or as nurses like to say, hammer that in. Um, (laughs) I'm going to be right about that. Um, Yeah. So, so I don't know. I, I, the cynic would say, oh, they're throwing money at a problem and that's the easy way out. And then a fan slash somebody else who believe, I guess it depends on your belief in, in what are they really doing as people slash and entertainers, right? Yeah. Do they have empathy? Are they truly right. being empathetic? And then if they are, our answers are one way, right? And if this is money, 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 let's pretend to be all caring, then uh-huh. our answers fall another way. Right. That's true. That's true to an extent. I think you still hold people responsible for the things that they say and the things that they do, regardless of what their intention is. So I could have the best intention in the world and I could use certain words and that would still be bad. Um, I would just need to be educated. And I think that people are trying to educate them. So um, I'm, I'm holding them a little bit responsible. And then there's the other thing that they seem to blame things on mental health, like calling people sociopaths and psychopaths. That's a little bit more iffy to me because I understand where they're coming from with that. But um, perhaps that's, perhaps that's nitpicking. Um, but the, the positive comments about the death penalty really gets, really gets to me. So another thing that's unrelated to the issues with true crime that I have or more issues with the podcast is that their, their catchphrase, catchphrase, stay sexy, don't get murdered, annoys me. And what if you're not interested in saying sexy? Well, okay. But <laughs> that's so, not the best thing in the world. It's not the only thing in the world. And well, so being sexy can take, as you know, many many different <laughs> forms and one of those ways yeah, of being sexy is to be smart to be clever right and so it doesn't necessarily have to be about uh, and i'm working hard here on this right um because uh-huh. i i mean you know how the catchphrase was born um it was on the early i don't remember actually oh well so once upon a time i told you that i had listened to some episode four times and you were like really in prep for this show our podcast and i was like no just in the in the course of my real life i have re-listened to the start of their show probably five times like episodes one through 18 right um just because there's so much there that's that's interesting and so um Mm -hmm. they weren't sure how to sign off when they were done Mm -hmm. a problem that we've we had um yeah still have and uh and so Karen sort of mockingly was like, stay sexy. What you would say in a high school yearbook. I see. Right. Stay sexy. Have a great summer. And so that's where that came from. And then Don't Get Murdered came a couple of episodes later where Georgia oh. sort of threw it out because the show was wrapping up and, it, and the sign off thing was still kind of weird. And Karen had the yeah. last word. And Georgia, I guess, sort of felt it's just real organic. You just you could tell yeah. like she felt. There's a beat here, and I need to grab it and hit a drum. It's up. Right. Don't get murdered, um, and and great, you know. Um, so I I hear what you're saying, but am I, maybe ten years from now, twenty years from now, people are going to be like, and there was that horrible podcast, my favorite murder that everybody loved, but thank God those two women were executed. <laughs> <laughs> <God>. <laughs> Because like that should exist. <laughs> I also don't like the name My Favorite Murder. I mean, oh, I get I it. it. I get it. I don't like it. I mean, if you'd had somebody murdered that was close to you, would, would that annoy you a little bit? 
Well, so what it does, um, what that title does is it sort of hits right at the heart of that unease that people have about being attracted to true crime stories, right? So how can you have a favorite murder? But what they mean is my favorite story is the story about X, Y, and Z, right? About a murder. Right. Well, I mean, a murder is the thing that happens in it, and that's what... That's the and that's why they're interested the in the plot it. Yeah. twist that they need, right? Yeah. And not just not just them, but but everybody. But I mean, you know, again, er, er, now I am in super. Uh, I was going to say Charles Darwin. I'm evolving as we speak. Um, <laughs> Clarence Darrow is that? Who the fuck was that defense attorney? It was it Clarence Darrow? I'm just being a defense attorney now. There we go. Okay. Um, okay. And I forgot what I was going to defend. Um, oh dear, the, my favorite murder. Other than them, right? Um, uh-huh. So, oh, okay, right. So, so every everybody's got something that attracts them to true crime, right? In some form or fashion, some way, somehow. Um, if we look at the fascination with serial killers, right? I I can mm-hmm. remember reading the book Zodiac when it came out, yeah, and just yeah. be, and I hate horror, right? And uh-huh. also a good handful of Anne Rule books. Um, you know, when True Crime had a had a yeah, yeah. big hit, like Jeffrey, in the eighties and nineties, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. And and there is something in that, and um, and so I get it. I get that impulse, okay. right? Um, but for me, that's not every story all the time. I'm, it's not the only thing I'm interested in, right? Um, probably like you with horror film. Like, I couldn't, I won't, I can't. Even commercials are scary for me. Um, but you have an appreciation for the, what word do we want to use? The art? Genre? No. The art? <laughs> it no. Is a genre. No. No. For the, it is a genre. For the slime show that horror is sure. <laughs> yeah, but nobody actually gets killed in horror movies. How do you know? I think. <laughs> Pretty it sure. can all be true. <laughs> I think that's one way of, of dealing with the anxiety of being a person, a vulnerable person in the world is watching horror movies, maybe. Um, but yeah, I, I could see that it's the same. The logic. Maybe it's in that just that people don't recognize in their daily lives that the, the stories that are associated with true crime are true stories, that there are actual people behind them. It's not just a horror movie or it's not just a story that someone's telling you there's real people that have been hurt. I, I think that is totally it. It's, it's very easy to recognize that people are people, but then also to just sort of see them as figures in a story and, and disconnect from there and not, yeah, and not yeah. think about the humanity, right? But more like the the abstract idea of the story, like this is a great story, and then this it's a terrible thing right. that happened to like a it person. It takes the place of a myth, maybe as a cautionary tale. Sure, and and you know, um, folklore does this, myths do this, urban legends do this, right? Um, and that's kind of what my favorite murder can be. It's what it is for me when I listen to it. Uh-huh. I'm not listening to it because. I have a lot of anxiety around crime. I mean, the answer to that is make friends with criminals. They're not going <laughs> to rob you. Right? Yeah, yeah, um, sure. But it's worked so far. Um, <laughs> y- yikes. 
And then, uh, oh God, I had this killer point I was working towards and it it just evaporated. Um, But it's also because it's so broad, you know? What what makes story? Why are people attracted to story? Why yes. why are stories important? Right? What do people get out of stories? Um, and with within this, I can see the. I'm not. We said that like people can can be misled with false hope. Like oh, the police are mm-hmm. always the heroes, and the police will always mm-hmm. have your best interests at heart, and the police will not kill you. Right. Um, but there, there is that thing of like, ah, this thing happened to that person and that person locked a door and had an old cell phone and you can get clues for survival, right? Out of story, right? And sure. so so I can see it functioning in that way. Like uh, maybe it's not alleviating your anxiety really because to your point, people get more studies show people get more nervous about crime, not less. Yeah. Um, yeah. But just more like, ah, don't have a baseball bat under your bed. You keep Alexa sleep with next it. to your bed. Yeah. Right. Or, or sleep with it. Yeah. <laughs> dress it up like a man. <laughs> Put it in the pillow next to you. So I also want to talk about another thing that I object to about the podcast and, um, this is one of the biggest things that um, that I think about on a daily or a weekly <laughs> a basis. daily basis. Not a daily basis, but a weekly basis as I hear the podcast. So they are lazy. They don't even do their own research. When they did do their own research, they stole it from Wikipedia or wherever. And now they have assistants doing their own research. And I don't know what they do except t- tell jokes. And perhaps the jokes are the part that makes the whole thing successful. But I mean, that's, that's really the only part that I see that really comes from them. Well, I would say like the, the empathy that they exhibit, but um, so great point there, because for me, they're this whole, my favorite murder apology, right? Um, I wasn't terribly interested in, I know the backstory. I figure everybody knows the backstory. Great. There weren't a lot of Mm -hmm. facts to find. Um, you know, there's some gossipy stuff, but it's who cares? Because then I have anything to really do with the apology. Um, but so it was this. It was this question that I had: Is it ethical to make money telling third-person stories? Right. It's one right. thing if the actual victim who experienced the trauma writes in and shares right. in their own voice. Yeah. Read that firsthand, first-person account. Great, right? That's exactly going to be my next point. That the the fact that the apology that they made was even made seems to be admitting that the whole premise of the show is questionable. That Karen and Georgia are telling stories that aren't theirs to tell for a profit. And so this gets into ethics and morality and law, right? Yeah. And um, I mean, if if we're if you still have other avenues to go down to, we'll circle back to this because for me <laughs> that was that was the whole thing. It's like yeah, okay. Clearly legal, but is it ethical? What's the difference? Should we care? And then in looking right. at the apology, how do I mean, not only how do I rate it like as a fan, how do I feel about it? Because it really exposed yeah. Karen's vulnerability. <laughs> right. But um, you know, what what in the show in the past has been similar, and then it so there was that, but then there was also the 
you know, really, is it ethical to watch a documentary and that like I've done on this show and then come and tell people about the documentary that you watched, like I've done on this show? And I'm going to say, yes, that's very ethical. Sure. That's public. It, it, it is that thing of like stealing, air quotes around stealing, um, other people's work. I don't... It, it's uh, the lazy aspect That's of different. It. Well, if you're talking about a documentary that you've seen in your own words, that's one thing. But if you went and recited the documentary from beginning to end, that would be another. Fair enough. Yeah, that, well, that's called plagiarism. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's right. And I think that what they did in the beginning was pretty close to plagiarism. There was a lot of that. There was a lot of not citing sources. And, and really what it was was two coworkers sitting down gossiping during the work day, right? It was a lot of office cooler sort of talk. It was how I felt about the earlier shows, right? Or right. maybe like pajama party kind of stuff, right? Um, and in those instances, when, it, when you're at work, you don't say, oh, the documentary produced by the BBC done by David Attenborough, right? You just say, there's a great thing about elephants. And did you know that they can fly helicopters? But that's different, though, because they're not reading directly off of Wikipedia. True. So I, if, if you and I are sitting here talking about My Favorite Murder, that's one thing. But if we're stealing from their episodes and reading the oh, uh, about a true crime story <laughs> <laughs> in their words and passing it off as ours, that's another thing entirely, in my opinion. Totally, so. right. And that does get to ethics. And, and there are some legalities around that, too. Um, and so one of the things that, that I would throw into this mix, right, is awareness. There's intent. Oh, we didn't have any intention of causing somebody harm. All right, cool. But then there is also just knowledge of how this industry works. And so I would point to, um, and I hate to do this, but I would point to Karen Kilgariff, who, as a comedy TV writer, is very mm -hmm. familiar with the Department of Standards and Practices at mm -hmm. every studio. Nothing gets on right. the air without going through standards and practices and legal. Every script is reviewed, yeah. right? Every word is looked at, right? And decisions are made. Um, and for those listeners who, I'm sure everybody gets what standards and practices is, but um, basically... In the United States, standards and practices, also referred to as broadcast standards and practices, is the name traditionally given to a department at a television network, which is responsible for the moral, ethical, and legal implications of the program that network airs. Standards and practices also ensures fairness on televised game shows, yada, yada, yada. So there's a department that's like, is this ethical? Is this fair? Is this right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. Dave Chappelle tells a great story about working with standards and practices, which I will now share with you, right? Okay. Did you watch any uh, Dave Chappelle? Not yet. Not yet? Okay, you got to put that on your list. Um, okay. This, some of the air is going to be let out of the tires on this because there are words that I can't say and won't say. And so that sort of makes the retelling juvenile. It's much better when he does it. So he had a, a weekly TV show and in that TV show, they would say N-word this and N-word that and you N-word and mom and N-word and this N-word and that N-word and N-word every, every five minutes, right? Because that mm -hmm. was the show. Mm -hmm. And standards and practices would 
basically see him every week and talk to him about loads of things in the show, but N-word was allowed, right? Fine, hmm. no problem. So uh, he wrote a joke, he wrote a, a short skit, and uh, and he used the F word, the gay slur for a gay man, right? Uh, hard T uh-huh. at the end. And the woman from Standards and Practices, right. who he liked, and he saw every week because there was always something alarming in the script that we can't do this, you can have to soften this, there's always something going on, right? He's real trying to be real edgy. And, uh, and she was like, you can't use this word. And she whispered the word to him, right? And it's in her office mm-hmm. and, and they're meeting. They've had a nice chat. And then they get to the to the point of the meeting and, and he's like, oh, okay, yeah, no problem. We'll figure something else out. And he gets up to leave and he turns around and he says, I just have, why can't I say that word? And she said, well, Dave, with all due respect, you're not gay. And he said, I'm not an mm-hmm. N-word either. <laughs> wow. Right? And <laughs> and so that's yeah. what standards and practices does. And it's very subjective, right? It's, we don't want to get sued and yeah, we don't want to offend yeah. anybody. It is just, and it's really, it's about money. So there is no like massaging people's egos or we want to hug, you know, and make sure little kids are protected. That's not what's going on. It's, we don't want to get sued and we want to keep people watching our shows. Yeah. And if we feel the cultural tide is turning against a specific word, we're not going to allow that word to be spoken. I mean, that's that's what's happening. So Karen Kilgurick. Sure. Hello. Karen has worked with that department for years. She knows what ethics are, right? Now, having said all that, would it occur to her naturally during the course of, when did this happen? This was like five years into the program that the clown org story like that. became yeah. an issue. Yeah. It's about five years. In, yeah. Right? So is that the first time that, that they've looked at, is it ethical to question? I can't imagine it. Right. They've right. got a team of attorneys. So whatever they're doing, they know is legal because they don't want to get sued, but yeah. then is it ethical? Right. And so that's where I don't have the answer for this because it is a campfire story situation. You know, the word got out in well, town. from the legal point of view. That was perfectly legal. Uh, the cops screwed up. That was their that was their bad, right? But, all right. They told some people, and those other people told some people. And one of, well, actually, so the person who wrote in was the daughter of one of the cops. So she heard it from her right. dad. Right, right, right. So. Right. But I still think that, going back to ethical and not so much legal questions about um, them taking the the um, the words of others and using them as their own and making money off of it I think that's a that's a problem so if like if they're stealing some someone wrote an article for fortune or something and then they read off of that just blatantly read off of it and did credit the the uh, the journalist I think that's a problem for the journalist and they they should be more careful. And perhaps they are being more careful to do that now. I don't really hear them crediting a lot of people, though. Um, maybe in the show notes they do. I, I don't really know. I, I don't just don't know. Yeah, I haven't dived into their show notes ever. Um, but I do hear them mentioning writers and, uh, and heaping praise on publications yeah, and yeah. writers. Like, oh, this mag- Texas Monthly, they, they go to a lot for a lot of their stories. And like, you know, Skip Hollingsworth, I think his name, I'm not sure, like a writer, right? They mentioned him 
a lot. Uh, so, so they are being more, and, and they have been, I think for a while, uh, more careful about citing, uh, in the early episodes, they'll start the show and Karen will say, Oh, last week we didn't credit so-and-so and so-and-so. And I think it was just a case of, um, Hey, let's like what we did. Hey, let's have a show. Let's put it out there. And then, um, then you start thinking about things. And I try to credit the people whose work I use. <laughs> so like, if I'm going to quote from somebody, I'll say, you know, so, so, so-and-so Forbes said, blah, blah, blah. And I think that's okay. Yeah, that's perfectly fine. And of course, show notes. And in the, in our earlier episodes, I am like, I'm trying to cite everybody all the time. And it got in the way of the show. It got in the way of the flow yeah. of the conversation. Right. Uh-huh. Um, and so I stopped doing that. And now I just plagiarize left and right. It's gotten a lot easier. <laughs> so, yeah, so I don't have any answers about the whole issue of whether or not Karen and Georgia should be telling stories that may not be theirs to tell. Um, I, I don't really understand. I guess I don't really understand the, the, the drama around that, because if I was kidnapped, uh-huh. I would think that was a matter of public record that I had been kidnapped, maybe, uh-huh. and that people could talk about it. Uh, I might not like it, but I wouldn't like being kidnapped would be the pr- primary problem I would have, not the fact that Karen and Georgia were talking about it on uh, international podcasts. On an international so podcast. I think okay. Of course it's an international podcast. So I, I think it would be okay to me for people to tell my story. So I have a friend who is studying for an exam, and part of the uh, prep work is uh, looking at ethics, right? And, uh, and he sent me a text with some questions about ethics. He got some answers wrong on the test. And he was like, what would you have said X, Y, or Z, right? And I said the same things that he said. And he was like, yeah, and they're saying that's wrong. And I'm like, well, clearly this test is wrong, right? Um, and then we got talking about, like, not so much what are ethics, but why are ethics important? And he had some interesting points that really wouldn't have occurred to me, right, that are applicable here. So we, I beat the drum a lot about like legal, legal, legal. Nobody wants to get sued. That's why standards and practices are there, right? Um, one could raise the question, is it ethical to have a department that prevents you from getting sued because you want to keep money, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, no. And so sometimes the law allows what ethics don't. So Okay, yes. Right, uh, which was an idea that hadn't occurred to me at all. Um, yeah, not that I'm some law lover, but like I don't spend a lot of time thinking about this. I right. I do other things. Hard to believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. And so um, let's go back to the 1800s and the abolitionist movement when slavery in this country was enforced by law, and mm-hmm. people would break the law to free other human beings from from bondage. Right. So cool. That's a case where ethics override what's legal because you were legally bound to return people as of course i'm sure you know um great and so okay that that makes sense ethics being this this guiding light this higher principle so let's take a quick look at what are laws what is morality what is ethics i have like a one sentence definition for each so laws are formal rules that govern how we behave what we must do and not do they create an enforceable standard of behavior. Laws can be just or unjust. 
laws can be silent when morality and ethics are clear, right? Um, and we can look at uh, the Frederick Douglass decision by the Supreme Court in the 1860s, I think. It, anyway, 1800s, I can say that pretty safely, where they ruled that, like, he you know, wasn't human. Um, okay, so what is morality? Morality is an informal framework of values, principles, beliefs, ways of living, customs. Morality isn't usually enforced by the state. Examples of morality, Christianity, Buddhism, it provides a set of answers to basic ethical questions. How should I live? What should I do? Right? Morality is inherited from family and culture. Morality can be obeyed without having to think. You already know what to do. You're being habitually virtuous. Right? And then ethics is a branch of philosophy that answers the basic question, what should I do? Process of reflection in which people's decisions are shaped by their values, principles, and purpose. Rather than unthinking habits or social conventions, ethics requires some brain power, right? Uh, what looks right and meaningful in our lives. Ethical decisions are based on conscious decisions. Um, all right, so cool. So... So why go into all of that? I guess it's that I'm kind of coming down on the side after having read some definitions where, mm -hmm. yeah, telling third-hand accounts isn't ethical. Telling third-hand accounts for money and attention, um, but it is legal. Yeah, it's legal. I don't think we were questioning whether it's legal, were we? No, no, not at all. But okay. yeah, but uh, but it is legal. Um, and so we're at it's not really we're at a tipping point in our culture, but our culture is shifting rapidly. Right. And for, for many reasons. Um, and now we have the issues around we trip over uh, every now and then issues around comedy. Right. Mm -hmm. Things people have said and. Um, oh, this was okay then, it's not okay now. I'm not even talking about language, I'm just talking about um, some of our humor in the past, 10 years ago. It's pretty mean and vicious. And if you listen to like, I used to love Joan Rivers. I, I mean, I still right. do, right? But yeah, her she sets is mean. Are, just mean. are just bad. Like I can't listen to them now because they're yeah. so hurtful. And I thought they were hysterical then. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that might be what happens with my favorite murder. Not so much that the show will jump the shark, which, in my opinion, it already has. When they had that commercial for the hoo ha. The hoo ha. The hoo ha. This isn't What's a commercial, everybody. I don't know because I don't have a vagina, but it is something that involves cleaning, and really? I think, or it's pills wow. you take that. Are supplements <laughs> that I don't know make you feel Cleaner? erotic or clean and happy? I don't know, <laughs> right? And it's I miss that commercial, but oh, oh you my god! Complain about the number of commercials on my favorite murders. My favorite commercial with. is exactly is really yeah yeah. Um, <laughs> but so I I can foresee a future where we could look back at. Uh, my favorite murder podcast and be like, God, they really weren't thinking about the victims at all. They were just, you know, they were so empathetic, but so unthoughtful. Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't know if the empathy, it doesn't always come off to me as real. It just kind of comes off as like they're giving lip service to, oh, how terrible, and oh, how awful, and oh, these poor people, the sweet baby angel, it's whatever. Yeah, it's, it. I mean, I love the show. I can listen to it hours and hours and hours because I have. Yeah. Multiple yeah. times, yeah. you know. Um, I have as well. But but uh, let's let's circle around that idea and go back to 2016 when something okay. sort of similar happened, right? Okay. Not quite the same thing. Um, do you remember the Jennifer Morey story? No. She uh, she did an I Survived where she told her story. Karen saw that I survived and it was one of her favorites and she retold it on the show. And Jennifer Morey, who's an attorney in, in Dallas, and all this is public information, um, yeah. meaning, let me rephrase that because lots of things are public information that I shouldn't be sharing publicly. Um, right. But she appeared at a show and spoke live on stage. Oh, okay. Right. So I feel comfortable saying she's an attorney. She lives in Dallas because that's what she said. Yeah. Right. Two yeah. two thousand people plus she knows what the podcast is. Um, yeah. And so she's the woman who moved into an apartment complex that was managed by Pinkerton Security, and Pinkerton was the big famous detective agency in the nineteen forties, yeah. right? Yeah. And so Pinkerton Security, one of their agents, broke into her house. And then oh she fought him off and locked herself in the bathroom and had just happened to have um, an old cell phone. And so oh every old cell phone has enough charge in it. And you can call 911 for free from old cell wow. phones, right? On, on purpose, because yeah, yeah. That's, that's how it is. Um, yeah. And so cool. And she was talking with the dispatcher and she was... Uh, she'd been stabbed multiple times. It was a horrific, horrific thing that happened, Jeez. right? Um, and the dispatcher stayed on the line with her. And after she was rescued, the dispatcher came to her wedding. Wow. Yeah, they be they became not great friends, but they became friends. And um, and so so that aired in 2016. And um, I'm going to read something now. It is uh, the link will be in the show notes because I forgot. Uh, what article I pulled this from, but shortly after the Jennifer uh, Moray episode aired in 2016, Moray emailed the show. My immediate feeling was horror, Karen Kilgariff recalls. Before I knew anything about what she had written, I was just like, honestly, maybe we shouldn't do this anymore. If she was upset, if there was going to be anything bad in that email, that was kind of it for me. But Moray was not upset. She felt affirmed by the way Kilgariff and Hard Stark had discussed her story. A year later, Maury came to a My Favorite Murder live show and received a hero's welcome. It was like the Beatles walked out onto the stage, Kilgariff recalls, visibly emotional at the memory. That audience was full of people who knew who she was and what she'd been through and were just so thrilled to be able to show her how much they cared. Hard Stark, too, is tearing up. I'm on a new medication that allows me to cry, she says with glee. <laughs> So now I'm like, oh, fuck, this is what it feels like to have emotions again. <laughs> Which, you know, I mean, funny, right? Um, it's cute. And all right, fine. Uh, and at the end, um, hard, stark sort of general reflections on why true crime to kind of answer your big question. Why true crime? Um, 
let's see. I've always felt that the more I learn and the more I read about it, the more I'll and the more I watch, the more I'll be prepared, which I know is 100% not true. But that habit has kept me up nights since I was a child. Um, it seems like a way to have more agency um, over it. Sorry, um, the way to have more agency over it is to tell these stories from the place of the person that we identify with the most, which is the victim. It's empowering for them. So I totally see where uh, Georgia and Karen view themselves as doing a service and doing mm -hmm. good in the world. And mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm going to say that while I could build a case for oh, this is unethical and they're in it for the money. And of course they're in it for the money. I mean, that's why they're doing it five years later. Can you imagine doing sure. this five years from now for free? For free? Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Give me too. <laughs> if we had 35 million listeners, I would do it for free. Oh, hell but, yeah. Um, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh, no. my. Well, but by then we would be making money for sure. So. Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> labor of love, ladies and gentlemen. And that's right. Oh, God, I was going to say and everybody in between, which just isn't funny at all, but it sounded funny in my head. <laughs> um, so, okay, so how do we rate this apology? Uh, do you have more you disapprove of? No, that's pretty much everything. Um, this apology, I would rate a five. Ah, okay. Um, it's not terrible because they did apologize and they did throw money at the problem, which is something. I mean, it's not. It's, it's performative it's easy for them and it, do. it does a thing, but yeah, it did. It yeah. did feel performative. But it's better than doing nothing. So I give them five points for it. Um, I take away five points for all the reasons that I talked about previously. So it's not the worst apology we've had. It's certainly not the best. I'm gonna give them a six. Um, really? Yep. So one plus over, uh, and I'm going to give them a six because the victim herself, the woman who wrote into the show, uh, yeah. listened to the retelling, listened to her letter yeah. being read, listened to the apology, right? And uh, she says, basically, okay, I'm not, she doesn't even say basically, this is what she's saying on Reddit. Yeah. Okay, I'm not even really sure to where to begin. Today's been a pretty emotional day. Um, hearing Karen's voice catch was pretty emotional. I had no idea about the donation to Rain, but I am incredibly grateful that others will benefit from it. Um, I have no hard feelings towards the original storyteller. I think we've all been young and excited um, at one point. Um the original teller has my email if they want to write out. Um, and sort of in the final analysis, she says, uh, thank you to everyone who helped me um, connect to the MFM team. And she says uh, the MFM team was respectful of her privacy. And she would ask the same of everyone who heard, who hears her story basically in the future. So she's accepted what's happened. So one plus, but I, I mean, I agree in, in terms of what I might expect from Karen, whose uh, I view as a natural, naturally gifted storyteller and somebody yeah. who has a lot of empathy. I would expect it maybe a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. I, they could have thought of this before they read the story out. So, so yeah, it would, 
not a great apology, not the worst. Sure. Yep, absolutely. Um, right. And so there we go. And I guess we're going to not cancel my favorite murder and we're going to allow them to continue to broadcast. Yes. Yes. Chrissy Teigen, Please another continue. thing. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> Chrissy's been canceled by us. Um, yeah, she's she's doing the... We'll come back to Chrissy Teigen, I am sure, because she's going to fuck up again and need to apologize. <laughs> but uh, even beyond that, uh, she's doing the PR game. She's going to lay low for a while, and then she's going to come back with... Oh, I see. A thing. Who knows? I haven't... I haven't seen her tweet for a while but i don't get all of her tweets she's not, so. yeah the, she's not her tweeting. publicist is like tied her hands <laughs> shut up chrissy all right do we have a who's sorry now i don't i do and i have one that's oh, related good. yes oh good. oh good no i, I should tried, never be sorry but i am i tried and tried to think of one but i couldn't so i'll let you tell her who's sorry now okay cool so um i am sorry because i have a i'm gonna keep this real vague I'm sorry because I have a friend, the end. Um, <laughs> I have a friend who uh, was placed on a on the ISIS kill list. Oh my gosh, okay. Yeah, and found out because the FBI contacted them and said, uh, hey, listen, you're on this list and you know your risk assessment is not uh, it's not immediate, but you just need to yeah. be aware, right? And wow. so cool. So there, there was a lot. A lot happened out of that. Um, we had a party and my friend was there. And yeah. I told some people that my, oh my friend gosh. was on the ISIS kill list because it's the most oh exciting gosh. thing that had happened around me yeah. in a long time. And I will yeah. say that their, um, their dating companion, going to keep mm-hmm. this as gender neutral as possible, yes. um, found out because, of course, oh. my friend told their dating sure. companion, partner, right? Sure. Um, hey, I'm in the ISIS kill list. And the partner said, well, what about me? <laughs> right? Which they then broke up shortly <laughs> afterwards because oh the concern was not for the person on the list. The other person. The concern was oh, for no. the self, right? Oh, no. If I'm with you and they drive by and shoot you, am I going to be able to duck fast enough? Like... <laughs> Can I see? Wow. Can I be seated facing windows from now on? Um, yeah. So, so you were responsible for the breakup. I'm responsible for everybody's break. No. Um, <laughs> no, but so I told a bunch of people, and then uh, my friend approached me the next day and said, Hey, could you shut your fucking mouth? Because uh, <laughs> I had people come up to me and ask me questions about it. I don't want to be talking about it. I don't want people to know. I don't want it to be a thing. And am I sharing it on a podcast? Yes. Why? But you're not giving names out, so it's okay. It's getting me the attention that I crave. <laughs> so you're sorry that you did that? I'm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I'm so. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you can't give me let a me good story and then not let me tell it. <laughs> uh, so, no, they need to be sorry to me. That's right. For not letting you tell that story. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. Yep. Um, wow. I don't know who that was. So you didn't tell me, which is good. Oh, I'll totally tell you because amazing things came out of it. <laughs> they hired a private security firm to train them in... Uh, the art of self-defense and wow. that went on for a couple of years and Jesus. like uh, 
cool, the things I learned, right? And I will say that my friend who is wonderful and sweet will poke your fucking eye out if you come wow. um, for them, right? Wow. Um, and uh, the, the big one was like, if you're in a shopping mall and there's a shooter and there are shooters on the second floor, sort of you're in an yeah. open atrium, right? Go out the back. Who? Go out the back of a store. Have I told you that? I don't think so. Yeah. I used to work in a mall. Okay. So. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what you do. Most people will be like, oh, drop and play dead or hide behind a plant or whatever. Run into a yeah. store. Every store in a mall has a back door that leads to a loading dock. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not the main entrance or exit, so you probably won't be caught there. So it's good. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. You're welcome, America. Thank you. And I guess the rest of the world, because there are active shooters now in other countries. It's, and this is an international podcast. It is an international podcast. And I'm going <laughs> to uh, say a special hello to our one listener in Latvia. Hi. Yay. Hi, Latvia. We love you. <laughs> we don't know where you are, but... Let us let us know your address and we'll come visit you. <laughs> <laughs> and have you listened to my favorite murder? Yeah, tell us all you feel, all your thoughts about my favorite murder. Okay, I think that's it for this week. That is more um, than it. Thank you everyone for listening. We had a great time as always. Um, hope you enjoyed the episode. Um, I guess that's it. Yeah. Thank Bye. you everybody. Bye. to Apologies Accepted, the podcast. You can find links to the articles and the sources in the show notes. To submit an apology or find out more, visit us at ApologiesAccepted.net, where you can also find our merchandise. We're on Twitter at Apologies Accepted. And on Instagram at Apologies.Accepted. You can support our important work at Patreon forward slash Apologies Accepted. And fuck Facebook. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>